but you start, you're like, man, I'm just not, that's just not the direction God wants me to go. And, but, but then my natural man, well, Denise has already proofread your PowerPoint, all that, done that, come on. And so, but I could not, and I, and I said, okay, God, where do you want to take us today? And I began to lean into this. And here, here's what I know. Denise and I, uh, a little over seven years ago, uh, started this pastor thing, being a pastor, senior pastors, a little over seven years ago. But we've been in ministry a very long time. And, and one of the things I've learned in ministry is this. Uh, don't talk about politics from the pulpit. You won't find a political party sticker on my vehicle. You won't find a sign in my yard. Uh, you won't, you, you won't hear, hear me out. Listen, I'm not saying that politics are not important. I'm just saying I'm not stupid. And I'm saying I would rather someone have a conversation with me before seeing something and come to some conclusions that they have no idea about. Which is one of the reasons we say at Watts Bar Church. Because there are some conclusions, assumptions, people, when you add of God on that, that they automatically make. Uh, and and well, we're in a season right now where people are announcing their candidacy. I'm running for president. Barb is just torn trying to figure out all the pictures in this. <laughs> they are. These are our people, Barb. Barb. I can, Barb's not hearing a word. I'm saying, she, who is that in the T? Who is in the I? Bob does a great work with our graphics. Uh, but we're in a season where people are announcing, hey, I'm running for president. And can I tell you that this season always divides people. Always. And, and one of the things that amazes me, and pardon me for staying really close to my nose, because like I said, man, this is this morning, me just going through it. Uh, one thing that amazes me, especially when it comes to followers of Jesus, is you get from them the sense, get from the, this sense from people that, here, if the right person does not get elected into office, well, it's just going to be bad. Everything's going to be bad. But if the right person gets elected into office, everything is going to, great, going to be great. It's like we have no short-term memory and really can't see that there are no certain individually, individual that really has that much control over our lives as an individual. Are you, are you hearing me? Here's the thing. Whichever political party you get behind, when your marriage falls apart, that won't be who you're running to. When your son or your daughter is, is uh, out on a, on a drug binge, that political party is not who you will be running to, crying out to. When you're depressed and to the brink of having suicidal thoughts, it won't matter who you voted for or didn't vote for. Are you hearing me? So many times we act like the individuals are the one who determine our fate and our future. And give me, get, get, listen, I get it. I can fully understand the feeling, especially during this time of people, this sense of desperation and hopelessness. I, I mean, I understand it because I, 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 you ask somebody now, the, how are you? The most common answer you get is tired. Tired. Anybody relate? I heard myself saying it so much that I finally started having to make a point to no no don't 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 say you're tired anymore. Quit quit saying that. But I I looked up the definition of tired and I know we think but here I it's pretty 
What, what, what the actual definition is is this. Drained of strength and energy, fatigued, weary, no longer fresh or in good condition. Can anybody relate to that definition? Tired. Yeah. Drain. Energy. Weary. Kind of at the end of yourself. Kind of like, ha, ha. It, well, the passage we're going to look at today, if you've got a Bible, want to turn with me. It's Ezekiel chapter 37. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it up on the screen. But the children of Israel find themselves in this. They are tired. They are drained. They are weary. They're, they're at that no longer fresh or in good condition. They are at the end of themselves. But get this. Now, and I know a lot of us can relate. We might want to admit it. They're tired and drained of energy and frustrated and all that. Mostly due to decisions they made. They made. And I know we get tired. Fr- but if we look around and use this the decisions we made that got us into this condition. And, and, it's a, and get this, even their strong belief in God can't cause them to believe there's hope for their future. They're the children of God and they're saying there is no hope for our future. And it's a strange place for them to be in because they know they're God's chosen people. They know they're supposed to be blessed by God. But their history, what time they were in right there, is saying other words. And here at this point in their history, they felt more cursed than they did blessed. They felt more abandoned than they, than they did adopted. And they were slaves to this horrible king. And their conclusion is this, man. There is no future for us. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God said this. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones, what, what you got to understand, God led Ezekiel this field of bones. He says, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. Get this. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Sometimes when we get to that point, we think it's God saying these things about us. It's God saying you're, you're without hope. You, you're dried up. It's God who's bringing the judgment. But he, it's actually the opposite. It's God quoting the people of Israel saying, they say this about themselves. This is how they see themselves. Dried up, cut off, no hope. This was Israel's view of themselves in regard to God. In regard to history, there's no hope. Has anybody ever been there? Where you made some choices. And these choices caused you to face some consequences you never could have imagined. Have you ever made decisions or choices that were not the best, but you never thought it would come and lead you down this path? Have you ever thought that you'd just gone way too far that God couldn't forgive you or ever want you? Have you ever made so many bad decisions that you thought you were there, there were no good options left? I've made so many bad choices, there are no good choices now. This is where Israel is at. They're lifeless, hopeless, a sense of helpless. They couldn't shake. Now, again, not God's description of them, their own. One thing that fascinates me is how many people are able to go from one extreme to the other so quickly. Anybody know what I mean? I mean, they can be flying on cloud nine one minute, and then bam, the smallest thing brings them down here. Man, in fact, me and... Uh, me and uh, I, I, me and my, my son-in-law were talking about uh, Antonio Brown. 
And I said, man, I think this guy's bipolar or something. Because we were talking about how he was on the internet. He was bad mouthing the NFL now, just going off on him. And then an hour later, well, I just didn't mean it. I'm like this. I'm, I'm like, dude, he's down, up and down all over the place. And I've known people. And there are people here today who have had an, an incredible relationships with God. And they're more real to you than anything you can imagine. And you're riding on that high. I've been there. You're riding up here, the place where you know, man, it doesn't make sense. But, man, God is there. You've had encounters with God. And then something happens and you're like, was that all a dream? Because I don't feel close to God at all now. Come on, am I preaching to the right people? And yeah, but but the thing is with us humans, man, we are fragile. We're fragile. We're we're broken. We're damaged. Even when we experience life and all its fullness, we're still inclined to neglect it. And maybe you're like I am, and you've experienced such realness with God, intimacy with God, but somewhere along the line, you felt disconnected, tired, worn out, weary. I'm telling you, man, it's from experience. It's almost like you were another person during that time. It's almost like the the side of you existed. And then you're looking back, you're thinking, was I was I just imagining that that we had that great of a relationship, me and God? Was that was what what's going on? Have you ever experienced, see, things can do that. Anybody ever experienced the blunt force trauma of just life and you can be right here with God and out of nowhere something hits you it hits you so hard that you didn't even know how to respond and you, you thought man I will never recover from this anybody ever been there I mean, you, you wonder if you'll ever get back to life again, where you wonder if you'll ever be able to believe again, have faith again, where it's just something that hits you so hard it left you numb. Not, maybe not physically, but emotionally and spiritually, you just felt dead. Dead. I've been there. I've been there, man, where I'm tired and weary, worn out, just wanted to crawl in a hole and die. And, and when I finally did muster up enough strength to get up, I just felt numb. I felt lifeless. That's where they're at. Look, look, let's start at verse uh, 1 of chapter 37. This is Ezekiel's account of this. The hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. Get the picture. God and Ezekiel walking down aisles of bones, sitting back and forth among them. And I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Here's what's happening in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is having this awakening moment. And it's a very painful moment because he's seeing God showing the people he loves, this is them. They're dead. They're lifeless, and it just crushes him. And here he is standing in this valley full of his own people. I don't know if you've ever heard of the killing fields. Anybody ever heard of them? In Cambodia, 
Cambodia, there's this thing called the Killing Fields. It's a place where hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Millions of people were killed and buried there. During, during the rule of this regime, from 1975 to 1975, or 79 estimates of the total number of people that died resulting from this regime range, get this, from 1.7 million to 2.5 million of a population of just over 8 million. Here's a picture. They say you can still go there today. And these fields are just bones upon stacks of bones. And you can feel and smell the death there. This was Ezekiel's vision of Israel's future. Unless something didn't change. Of humanity, the problem was that the dead people, the dead people he's talking about, they think they're still alive. Are you, are you with me? So God took Ezekiel to this place to show him the human condition. And then God asks Ezekiel a question. Verse 3. Son of man, can these bones become living people again? Now, in my experience with talking to God, I would rather ask God questions than him ask me questions. I'm just thinking, God, you've got more insight into this than I do. But I also know me well enough that if me and God were walking out there and he asked me a question, I'm going to try to give him an answer. I'm going to make up something. Come on. I, I, I don't want to look dumb in front of God. I'm going to give him this spiritual, spiritual answer. But to me, this is one of those trick questions. Can, can you really win with an answer? If Ezekiel says, no, they can't live, God, they're dead, then God's going to say, you don't have any faith in me? And then if Ezekiel goes, yes, they can live, God, they can do it, then God's going to say, oh, show me. But Ezekiel is a whole lot smarter than me and in this moment, he realized the answer to this question is way bigger than he is. And it's not about much he knows or how much he understands. Because the fact is this, for Ezekiel, hey, no, these dead bones can't live if it's left up to Ezekiel. And as left to ourselves, if the question, can dead bones live, we have to go, no, they can't live. No, we can try to do it on our own. We can try to muster up enough, but on our own, no, it, after I, I can work at it, I can uh, say a prayer over it, I can fast about it, but if it's left up to me, I'm just going to grow frustrated with trying to see these dead bones live. But Ezekiel has the best answer to this question. He says, did I get it? Oh, shoot. Lord, you alone know. Only you know. I don't have the answers. And what we have to do sometimes is this, your first right hand. Sometimes we need to give up our no, what we think we know, what we know, so we can receive God's yes. Because what we think we know will get in the way of what God really wants to do in our lives. I wonder how many times in our life God has been pressing us, causing us to wrestle with different things in life so that we can come to a place where we realize that we don't really have the answers that we need. 
And that we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know where to go. And we have to say, God, I don't know. So give me your yes. What is it? Have you ever felt that you're at the end of yourself? Have you ever felt that there is no hope? Listen, if you've ever felt like you are just dry bones and there's no reason to get up in the morning, there's no hope at all, here, you're absolutely right. Welcome to Watson Bar Church. I just love to make people feel good. Because the thing, if you're the one that who has to answer this question, then there is no hope. If it's left up to you, there is no hope. And he says, Lord, you only, only you know. Verse 4, then he said to me, God said to me, prophesy to these bones. And say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel's got to be like, where do I even begin talking to bones? I've preached to some dead people before, but this is a whole new level of deadness in congregations. This is, no, I started to be really, no, no. And, and so Ezekiel's crowd, I tell you, so God says, listen, I know you've never done this, so I'm going to coach you. Here's your, here's your book, uh, Ezekiel. Here's dry bones for dummies. Now look. Says dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. He says you have to address them so they'll know you're talking to them. Hey, dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Now you next thing you got to do is this is what you're speaking on behalf of me. It's not you. This is God. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come up on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What incredible attention to detail God uses. I, I, I mean, he's going into incredible detail about what's about to happen. You know why I think he goes into really detail? So it doesn't freak Ezekiel out so much. I mean, if you speak life and then all of a sudden, come on, that's going to be a little freaky. Here's what's going to happen, Ezekiel. Here's what's going to happen. And so he says, okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. Now, come on, if you're in a graveyard and the bones came together, bone to bone, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them let me ask a question why why does god have to tell ezekiel to talk to the bones why don't god just speak to them himself i i mean if i'm ezekiel i'm like well, well god we're, you're right here with me uh they're right there uh, you go ahead and speak to them uh, i mean why don't you just go ahead and talk to them i mean it'll it'll mean a lot more coming from you Here's the truth. God doesn't need Ezekiel's help. The Bible begins with God speaking life into creation. Just the word. Let there be light and there was. Let there be water. There was. Let there be sun. There was. So God has kind of got this thing of speaking life down, speaking things into, into existence. So this is a no-brainer. And, and so he, said, he could have said, God, why don't you do this? I think what this is is a father and son moment. He said, I know I could do it, but I want to teach you how to do it. 
And here's what I'm, I'm going to teach you what to do. In order for you to do that, you need to see what I see. Ezekiel, you need to hear what I hear. And then you need to do whatever I tell you to do. I'm teaching you. Would it have been a lot easier for God to just do it? Come on. Uh, rather than work with a human? Absolutely. But here's what I know. There are things God wants to do in human history that he's waiting on a human in history to step up and do it. There are things, yes, God, can, he's waiting for a human to say, yeah, God, here I am, use me. There are things God that God imagined and wants to create that God is simply waiting for a man, a woman to step up in that moment to see what God sees, to hear what God hears, and then do what God tells them to do. So God invites Ezekiel into this, this moment. The bones don't move when God speaks. They only move when Ezekiel speaks. Did you hear that? They didn't move. They didn't start coming together when God was telling him what to say. Only when Ezekiel obeyed, they began to come together. I mean, I'm telling you, how many times have we sat around saying, God, do something? God, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for this. God, do something. God says, I'm trying to do something. I just need to get you up on the couch to see what I see, hear what I hear, and start doing what I'm telling you to do it. Come on, the greatest Christian's response excuse is, oh, I'll pray about it. Come on now. I'll never forget a conversation me and mom had. Because when mom passed away, her, her relationship with her only living brother was great. It had not always been that way. He was not a nice man at all. He was a jerk, for lack of a better word. I hope he doesn't watch Facebook Live. Uh, but he was not. Uh, and Mom, she, said, she was telling me this story. She said, Kelly, there was, she said, I kept praying, God, heal a relationship. Do something to fix that relationship. She said, one morning in prayer, I felt like God said, what are you doing to fix the relationship? I mean, you're praying, but what, what are you doing outside of that to fix the relationship? And I find that's us a lot of times. We pray, we pray, but what are we actually doing? And we pray, God, fix this, fix this. And God said, I'm trying to fix you so that you can fix that. I'm trying to fix you so that you can change your world. I'm trying to fix you so that you can go into that school, that office, and bring revival to it. I mean, people come in, Kelly, Pastor, just pray for Man, I'm at a job where there's nobody, no other believers there. The language is terrible, what they talk about. And pray that God gets me out of there. I'm like, maybe you're exactly where God wants you because you're the only light in that place. That's not even in my notes. That's free. Every future God wants to create, think about it. He uses a human to speak. Let's go to verse 7. Ezekiel says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying there, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. In other words, they looked alive, but they were dead. This is a description of many of the people, even some in this room, and many of the people we do life with. They look alive. They're dead. 
you, here's the thing. If you see a person walking around and they're just bones, they're sick, you, you know something's wrong with that person, right? You're thinking, man, they, you don't look healthy, buddy. So there's something wrong. But the problem is, these people, he says, they're walking around looking healthy. You think they're healthy. The, the dead are walking around looking like the living. And there are so many followers of Christ that on the outside they look healthy. They look like they're living. But what's going on inside tells a different story. You remember in Genesis when God created Adam? God formed him from the dust. He had the appearance of a living being. But the Bible says that it wasn't until God breathed into him that he actually came to life. I'm telling you, this is a reminder that, hey, we may look like we're living. We may look healthy. But until God breathes in us, we are not alive. Until God breathes in us, we are just walking dead. I'm telling you, then, verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Hebrew word there is ruach. It literally means wind and spirit. So God says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, speak to the wind. Speak to the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. I, listen, it sounds crazy that we would be, speak to bones, that we would speak to wind. That's kind of a crazy idea, right? Come on, if you see somebody out on the road, I would be with you. And they're speaking, you, they've got a dead dog there. Bones are there. They're speaking to dead bones and they're speaking to the wind. Come on, we'd say that, that, that they need help. They need help. Yet God has only one intention for you and that, you, that is that you would come to life no matter how crazy it may look. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life, stood up on their feet as a vast army. That song, There's Power in the Name of Jesus. I didn't even know they were singing that. And then I kept thinking, man, there's a second verse. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up to break every chain. You want to see people broke free from bondage. You want to see lives healed, marriages healed. You want to see uh, addictions broken off people. My brother that, that did the, the communion this morning, that's the first time ever doing communion. He is two and a half years sober from a 20-plus year pill addiction. That's bring, yeah. What is God doing? God is saying, breathe life. Because I, I want us a vast army. A vast army that doesn't forget where they were, that they were just dead until I breathed life into them. And then I wanted to take that out and then begin to breathe life into other people. A vast army, Watts Bar, that's what we're called to be. An army that breathes grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness of God. Man, I hope you are with me. Could it be that God is just waiting on a man or woman to step up and begin to speak life? I love that part, man. A vast army. 
Can I be honest? If I was there, I wouldn't even need to see an army up to that point to be impressed. I'm seeing bones coming together. I'm seeing tendons. I, I'm, I'm fine, God. The moment life entered them, the, get this, the moment life entered them, they stood up. An army. Here's my last point. God never brings a person to life without giving them purpose and intention. When they came to life, they stood up and they knew we're an army. We're created to do something. We're here for a purpose. Then he said, verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, they say our bones are dried up where we started, are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, because I hear what they're saying about themselves, because I see how they've lost their identity. They don't know who they are anymore. I want you to prophesy to them that this is what the Lord says about them. My people. What's he doing? He's reminding them, you're my people. You're mine. You're mine. You're not anybody else's. My people. I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you up from them. I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I'm the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. We can read that. Let's say it was being spoken to Danny and Melody. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in 10 Mile, Tennessee. So that when people hear, they'll know the Lord has spoken. Let me tell you, uh, when, when God moved us here, we, we came from a, on the outskirts of Atlanta. And came back home to pastor the church my mom and dad started. It was not an easy move for my wife. My wife didn't want to say, and God planted them in 10 Mile, Tennessee. She would have said, stood with, hey, God said, stay in Swanee, Georgia. But God said, no, because I want to put you in 10 Mile, Tennessee, so that when people see it, they'll say, it's God. It's God. God is breathing life. God is doing something that... I love that when they said there was no hope, God said, I'm not finished yet. When they thought they were at the end of their story and it was only death, God said, no, I'm bringing you back to life. I want you to know no, today, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how much damage you've done to yourself or others, no matter how dark or destructive the road you have been on, you may have given up, but God has not given up on you. I'm telling you, because he knows what he can do with you if you will just simply see what he sees, hear what he hears, and begin to do what he tells you to do. I'm telling you, that is the God who speaks. And when he speaks, there's life. There's life. He is the God who makes dead people and dry bones come to life. I mean, there is... We, I've said this so many before, see... We, we need to understand the Bible. God, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Dead people live. There's a moment in the life of Jesus, and I'm closing, where this happens. When he breathes life 
And it's so easily overlooked, but Jesus has been crucified, come back to life. And verse 20, man, the disciples are hiding. And check it out. On the evening, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you then. And with that, he breathed on them. And with that, he said, as the Father brought me back to life, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm bringing you back to life. And he breathed on them and said, receive Holy Spirit. Yeah. You, you may not know it, but until God breathes into your soul, you're dead. But the moment you open up to him and allow his breath to come into you, that breath, that wind, that spirit, it brings life. You don't have to have all the answers. Thank God. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up before you come to God. You don't have to do, well, let me do this. No, no, no. All you have to do is answer this question. Do you want to live? Do you want to live? I'm today I'm talking to two different types of people. I'm talking about people that have never been brought to life. That today God wants to breathe in you completely. New life. And then I'm talking about people that have been in the church. That know Jesus. But spiritually, man, they've just settled for existing in you. Stand with me across this room. I'm telling you this. There's a future waiting to be released through your obedience. There's a future waiting to be released through your, your obedience. What are you going to do with it today?